1: repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
2: The house always wins. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town.
3: July 26th, 1993 was a typical day for 26-year-old Kevin Q. Wynn. She went to work her shift in retail operations at the Mirage Resort, went to the gym, had dinner with her family, Father Steve, Mother Elaine, and Sister Jillian, and called it a night. Now, you should know that Kevin Wynn wasn't just a Vegas hospitality worker. Well, she was, technically, but she was so much more. Kevin Wynn was the daughter of hotel mogul Steve Wynn, famous for developing the Mirage, Treasure Island, and the Bellagio, to name a few. So when she was accosted by two men and smuggled into the night, it wasn't just a crime. It became a sensation. Today we're talking about the kidnapping of Vegas royalty, Kevin Wynn. Like I said, July 26, 1993 was a normal day for Kevin. She worked, went to the Mirage Hotel gym for a quick workout, then met with her family for dinner. After dinner, Kevin drove the short distance to the gated Spanish Trails Country Club where she lived. She arrived at her two-bedroom home around 10 p.m., and everything seemed normal. She gathered her belongings, left the car, and went inside. But as soon as she entered her home, Kevin was accosted by two men in masks. Armed with a gun, they taped her eyes shut and forced her to remove everything but her underwear. Then, the taller of the two assailants stood next to Kevin and placed sunglasses over her taped eyelids. The shorter of the two intruders proceeded to photograph Kevin and the other captor. Kevin, of course, is confused, shocked, and scared. The photographer likely sensed her range of emotion, replying, quote, You are my insurance. Suddenly, their motive became crystal clear to Kevin. They wanted her dad's money, and they would use these photos as the first terrifying step in getting it. Kevin was allowed to put her clothes back on and was tied up, placed in her own vehicle, a black Audi with the license plate Bionda, Italian for blonde, and was driven into the night. Around 11 p.m., phone calls originating from a local 7-Eleven were made to Steve Wynn, informing him that they needed to drop off $2.5 million—that's over $5 million today— to a location that night, all to ensure Kevin would be safe and back home soon. Now, the kidnappers knew a sure thing when they saw one lying awake in Kevin's house. They had done their homework, well at least some of it. Steve Lynn was the ideal target for a ransom job, his daughter an accessible and public figure. In 1993, Steve Wynn was at the top of his game, the chairman of Mirage Resorts Incorporated, and, according to Fortune magazine, the highest-paid chief executive within the United States. However, as he pulled up to his driveway and answered the anonymous 7-Eleven call, shock turned to anger. The kidnappers told him that they not only had compromising photos of his young daughter, but they had her. And if he wanted her back, he'd have to pay. Wynn informed the kidnappers that despite his power, he didn't have access to their $2.5 million so quickly. Instead, Wynn offered the captors $1.45 million. They agreed, and with the payoff settled, Steve Wynn was given instructions to leave the money in a car parked at a local garage. He agreed, hung up, made some calls, and the captors called him again as he drove to the Mirage Hotel and Casino. There, associates handed him a white plastic bag filled with $1.5 million worth of neatly stacked $100 bills from the cash cage. Wynn later described holding the bag, saying it was, quote, like a baby with his arms around it. Wynne dropped off the cash in the parking lot of Sunny Saloon, one block away from the Mirage, before receiving directions to Kevin's location at McCarran International Airport. Two friends met him at the airport, and Steve Wynn prayed what he found there would be his daughter, alive. As Steve Wynn approached Kevin's black Audi, his friends began to follow, but he told them he'd go to her car alone. The walk through the parking lot probably seemed endless, and getting closer to his daughter's darkened car, I'm sure he must have been terrified. He hoped for the best, but in actuality, he had no idea what he would find inside. Let's take a break.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: Hello, how Hello. are you? How are you doing? How's it going? We're checking in.
3: This is your check-in. This is it. You know it's coming. You know it's here. You've you've listened to half the episode-ish. Yeah. How do you feel? Reborn?
2: Yeah. Are you a, a, new, a new?
3: Oh, refreshed. <laughs> Great. Good to hear. Not us. No, we're older than ever. Weathered.
2: We're we're just... Harried. Just just falling apart before your very ears. We're
3: just just limping to the end of this episode.
2: Anyway, we (laughs) want to say hello to anyone who's listening, supporting us, spreading the good word of Ghost Town.
3: Thank you so much.
2: We appreciate it.
3: You know we need it.
2: You know it's all we got. You can hear it in our voices. (laughs) And you know what? What doesn't kick off a summer party like talking about the government?
3: Ooh, yeah. The Ghost
2: Town government. Hell yeah. Mayors. They're bringing the beach ball. <laughs> Does it need to be a beach? No. It could be at a concert. No. could be inside of a party.
3: What about an Airbnb pool? Ooh. How about that? <laughs>
2: Airbnb, beach, B&B, ball pool, Ooh, b-ball. Sounds summery. Sounds like Cat Jozelle. Hello. And who's bringing the Taco Bell? <laughs> Remember the commercials where they're like, Hey, who's here? you guys ready to party? Here's yeah. here's eight tacos for four hundred of us. They're like, You're that's better than bringing beer. Amazing. And
3: they like bust through a door like the Kool-Aid man. It's just like it's just four tacos.
2: That's Casey Weber. Hello. And strolling on in with a big old boom box. Because <laughs> a summer party needs teenage did <laughs> what did you say? It needs teenage did. I've been to a lot of parties. Hey, clearly, especially in the 1980s, mm-hmm. big old boombox,
3: wipe out, <laughs> whoa, 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 wipe out. <laughs> this is like a this is like a a beach like a 50s Elvis beach movie. It's
2: a it's like kind of like it's like a 50s thing, but it was made in like the late 80s. Nice. It's like that. Cool. And I'm the director and writer, <laughs> and it's very out of touch.
3: Oh my god!
2: Hey, that's Charlie Gilbert. Hello. And you can't have a beach party without a bonfire, dude. No. Come on. Oh no no. It's nighttime, no, 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 everyone's got a hoodie no. on. Yeah, everyone's everyone got a hoodie. Cozy,
3: maybe some makeouts Ooh, and the The beach
2: and it's night. There's a uh, bonfire. Yeah, the
3: fire illuminating your faces while you tell a scary story oh, yeah. too young? Uh maybe. <laughs> Girl Scout camp? Or, yeah. Uh, or maybe you're
2: like looking to hook up.
3: Yeah. All right. It's like, you. oh, hey,
2: what's up, girls? Like, you want to hear a ghost story? And they're like, no, I was here to have <laughs> no, a good time. I'm here
3: to do drugs and make out. I don't want to
2: hear you're about a true crime thing you watched.
3: Getting your Mazda and go.
2: That's Ashley Matson. Hello. And our governor sitting in the lifeguard tower way Ooh, up high. Hell yeah.
3: Making a little more than minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah, baby.
2: Golden tan, oh, zinc on the nose. So cool. Big old whistle. Everyone's like, I want to be like Yeah, her. they're like, I'm going to drown. <laughs> and somebody's like, hey, um, no, you just want to pretend to drown so you can get mouth to mouth. Don't actually drown, And they're idiot. not even listening. They're already at the bottom of the <laughs> <wall>. <laughs> They're like, oh, I thought I'd be brought back to life. This
3: is the deep end? Yeah.
2: Wow. Wasn't worth it. Um, oh. But anyway- Uh, before we get to the, I guess, the funeral of that person, (laughs) (laughs) that really made a huge mistake. Our governor, the lifeguard for the living.
3: The lifeguard (laughs) for the living. She does her job well. You're not her problem. Yeah
2: avian Avian noble noble. if you want no ads no chit chat bonus episodes just the good stuff seven days free you can Mm -hmm. check in you can definitely check out very very quickly check us out support us if you want to or if not cowabunga i guess (laughs) head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod you want to get back into it
3: let's do it it was just after midnight and steve wynn is running up to his youngest daughter's audi in a saloon parking lot praying that she is alive Finally, he calls her name, Kevin, and she answers back, Dad, is that really you? Kevin Wynn was inside her car, tied up in a parking lot at McCarran International Airport, four miles from her home. It was only three hours from when Kevin was initially kidnapped to her rescue, but Steve Wynn, wildly enough, didn't even involve police until after paying her ransom. Quote, I'm sure it seemed like centuries to her, but the good news is she's back, safe and unharmed, said FBI Special Agent Burke Smith, spokesman for the Bureau's Las Vegas office. Of course, there's a couple theories as to why Steve Wynn didn't get law enforcement involved. It might be because of the compromising photographs of his daughter that the two men threatened to release if he alerted the authorities and how that might bring shame to both Kevin and the family. Or maybe he didn't call the police because he simply didn't trust them, and or had ties to the mob. Steve Wynn had been going through a very public battle with Clark County Sheriff John Moran, who oversaw the Metropolitan Police. Wynn filed a $10 million federal civil rights lawsuit against Moran, the Metro Police, and members of the department's intelligence squad, claiming they had tried to ruin his gaming ventures. According to an L.A. Times article, the battle between Moran and Wynn, considered to be two of the most powerful men in Nevada, stemmed from a July 1991 arrest of a group of Mirage customers with alleged ties to New York's Genovese organized crime family. The men had been comped at the Mirage, special guests of Steve Wynn. To add insult to injury, the year before, Kenneth Wynn, Steve Wynn's brother, was caught up in a marijuana investigation spearheaded by Metro's intelligence unit. When you know that information, it's easy to see why Steve Wynn maybe decided to hold off on cop involvement. But in court, Steve Wynn said he didn't call authorities because using his phone might anger his daughter's captors, as he was nearly always in communication with the kidnappers since the first call. Quote, I felt if I used my cellular phone, they could hear me and it would mean her death. Whatever you believe, Kevin was safe, which was incredible. But the next question was... Who were the people behind her kidnapping? Agents from the FBI and detectives with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department began investigating the kidnapping, assigning 10 detectives to the case. Larry Bertman, chief of the 32-person security force at Spanish Trails, where Kevin Wynn lived, said none of his guards on duty saw anything unusual. Quote, There is more than one way to get in, Bertman said. They could climb over a wall. This place is not a high-security prison. After the initial investigation turned up very little forensic evidence, an FBI investigator looked into the call records from payphones in the vicinity of Sunny Saloon, where the money had been exchanged. Quote, you have to admit these payphones are in a very public place, said News 3's Denise Roche. Not exactly ideal when you're trying to extort millions of dollars from one of the city's most well-known citizens. Common sense would tell you to pick a more private location. Fortunately, that's not how these kidnappers operated. While the kidnappers used payphones, a taxi driver caught sight of one of them as he drove down the strip, noticing three men seemingly in some type of situation. He was able to get a description of the man on the phone. Meanwhile, records obtained by authorities from McCarran Airport show that a 1986 Volkswagen with California license plates had been driven into the lot where Kevin Wynn was found after the kidnapping. It left the lot 22 minutes later, shortly before the victim was found. The car was registered to a man named Ray Marion Cuddy, a former circus performer and health club manager. The taxi driver who witnessed the kidnapper on the phone identified Cuddy as the man that he saw. As the FBI tracked Cuddy, they found out he had just moved to Las Vegas months before, living in a one-bedroom, $425 a month furnished apartment in a crime-ridden neighborhood just off the Strip. He was also in the midst of buying a $183,000 Ferrari in Newport Beach, California, where he had previously lived. Authorities arrested Cuddy at the Ferrari dealership, where they found an unloaded 357 Magnum in the car he had driven there, and paid several installments on the car using $100 bills, the same denomination provided as the ransom. Lee West, owner of Newport Imports, was surprised to hear of Cuddy's alleged involvement in the kidnapping. Quote, the guy's been around this dealership for good many years, West said. He likes cars, and he said that he wanted to buy one. When Cuddy was arrested, authorities recovered approximately $80,000 in cash, mostly in $100 bills. An additional $90,000 was found in his room at the Marriott Suites Hotel in Newport Beach. Again, everyone was shocked, having known Cuddy for years. We like him, another friend said. He's a wonderful person. We can't explain this. We've had lumps in our guts since we heard it. Cuddy left home the day of Kevin's attack, telling his son he was going to, quote, pay off a friend. After collecting the ransom, Cuddy went to Newport Beach to buy his favorite car. But Cuddy didn't work alone, and after he was in custody, the rest of the ransom crew was revealed. It was Ray Cuddy and his friend Jacob Sherwood who physically assaulted and photographed Kevin Wynn, and friend Anthony Watkins served as their lookout. Sherwood and Watkins were not picked up until late September, and both were charged with extortion and money laundering, among other charges related to Kevin Wynn's abduction and ransom. Watkins and Sherwood received a -a six-and-a-half-year prison term, while Cuddy remained in jail until 2015, after which he entered a Las Vegas-based federal halfway house for supervised release. Cuddy is barred from having any direct contact with Kevin Wynn or her family. Speaking of the wins, in February of 2018, Steve Wynn was under fire for tax fraud and relinquished his position as CEO and chairman of Wynn Resorts. Not long after, he sold all of his shares within the company. His now ex-wife, Elaine Wynn, held on to hers. And Kevin Wynn? She's not really in the public eye much anymore, though I did find a 2016 article in Haute Living about her life after her kidnapping. She moved to Los Angeles, got married, had a kid, was a philanthropist got divorced, and then designed high end footwear. That's when, quote, the Kevin Wynne collection of seven unique mule styles was born. But not without a tip of the hat to her old dad. Quote, for many years I've watched my dad put his name on Las Vegas experiences that are the absolute gold standard, Kevin said. If I'm putting my own name on these slippers, it's because I know they're the best as well. What a turn, right? Or maybe not, maybe it's what you expected. Of course, we wish Kevin Wynn lots of luck in her endeavors and hope she could leave her traumatizing experience miles behind her back in the sun-soaked landscape of Las Vegas.
1: You can live out your master chef dreams